My name is Justin Anda. On January, I released an album by the name of Currently Elsewhere. You can listen to this album in all stores online. I would suggest listening to the album to get a good understanding of what the sound is all about. But for those jumping in right now, the Currently Elsewhere podcast is a show where in each episode, I take a look at a song from the album. I talk about the lyrics, meaning, stories, and experiences behind each track. And now a bonus of an episode, kinda, was put out. We had guests. Last episode, I talked with Fadi, aka DI3, about his music and working on Words Never Come Easy, as well as taking people to different places through music and production. There will be two new guests in the upcoming episodes that will follow this one. For this episode, however, we will be checking out one of the most ambitious songs I did for this album, one of the more imaginative of the track list by the name of Dancer's Paradise. With the album, I wanted to stay in the path of narratives and storytelling that was expressed a little bit in Words Never Come Easy, but to be honest, however, this was the only song where I really touched base with pure creativity. Though in the end, there was a little base of truth and concern, which we will take a peek at in the lyrical analysis. I always had a love for creative writing, ever since I was young. If I wasn't at school, I would be coming up with new stories to turn into videos. In primary school, I still remember making my first book, which was an addition to the Mr. Men series. And um, I believe the name of it was Mr. Cold. I think this was the 65th entry of the series. <laughs> my parents legitimately thought that I had a shot in starting a career in writing. Even at such a young age, I was around seven years old. I was in first grade when I wrote that book. But this encouraged me to write and continue writing through years of childhood. A lot of my stories had to do with science fiction, concerning with other worlds and species, you know, aliens and stuff like that. I really loved aliens. And I remember the first ever edited video that I made when I first learned how to edit on iMovie. It was just all about aliens. It was a news report about aliens. You know, so I kind of held the grasp of it and I just, I just kept on going with writing and writing. And fast forward to high school, but right now, I'm entering senior high school, I think. Yeah, yeah, I am. I'm still working on stories that take place beyond our own planet and plane. You know what I mean? Like uh, other dimensions and stuff. Uh, I will talk about one in a little bit. But um, the stories that I'm doing right now, yeah, they do take place on Earth. But not exactly this dimension, if you know what I mean. I'll, I'll talk a little bit about it later. During the time that I was still conceptualizing currently elsewhere, the idea of storytelling came to my head. Having the title of the album being just a working motif of what being currently elsewhere meant to me, I came across the idea of stories, you know, immersing readers into other worlds. So I kept that in mind. Um, I wanted to do something, you know, uh, bringing listeners currently elsewhere, if you know what I mean. Um, there was this thing that I, that kind of stuck with me, which was that Rex Orange County, he said that he would write the name of the album first, and then he would make songs based around that idea. So I wanted to do that with, I wanted to do that with Currently Elsewhere. I wanted to make the title first and then see what I could come up with in terms of the title. So yeah, Currently Elsewhere was one of the, f the, the title, um, 
which was the first thing that I came up with for the entire project. My classmate Josh and I were a duo of creative media at the time. Um, we were shooting videos and writing stage plays to present to our school. Every two weeks, if I wasn't performing a song, we would create something to show to our fellow peers. They loved our work. And this brought us to the idea that we had to push ourselves to a new level. And he thought, let's write a song. Now, the moment he said that, we went right to work with the types of songs that we wanted to make. Prior to settling on Dancer's Paradise, we had two song ideas lined up. One was a rap song named King Neptune, which was going to encapsulate the ocean through a submarine tourist perspective, if you know what I mean. The second was going to be an ode to our crushes and to get them to stop giving us signs because they would confuse the hell out of us. That song was going to be a ballad called Stuff Love. You know, Stuff Love. And one day in our media class, we were listening to dance music out of curiosity. We love the cold, hard beats and how some of the songs essentially command you to dance. You know those fitness songs that get you to get up um, and do things like slide to the left or in Michael Jackson's like get off the wall and start dancing and stuff like that. We were curious about, do you think there are songs that force you to dance? Like, get off the wall, dance right now, or you're gonna, you know, you're, you're gonna, yeah. So it hit us at that point. We need to make a dance party track, but a dance track that forces you to dance. And that's what became Dancer's Paradise. And surprisingly, we wrote the song in only around an hour between classes. So we wrote in half an hour for our media class and then half an hour in another class. I don't remember what it was, but uh, we wrote it relatively quickly. Dancer's Paradise was the, it was the most fun track to work on, in my opinion, mostly because I had a co-writer to share my ideas with, um, but also because it was lyrically the weirdest song I ever came up with. Other than that one comedic trap rap type song that I made about taking a dump, but we don't talk about that. Josh and I were intrigued by the ideas of Hotel California and Cha Cha Slide being placed in a trance of happiness for negative energy or sinister power, like a weird surveillance 1984 Big Brother type deal. The tagline that we used for this song was, I can't lose that tempo. And we really took a look at that line, what it could mean from whoever was saying it. We settled on the fact that the character might be how they are stuck to dance in a specific way. Unfortunately, too, we have also realized in real life that some dancers look as if they do not want to be there. If, if you look at performances, sometimes they just have a stone face while they're dancing. And that kind of bothered us. We observed it and we thought it was really weird. And we wanted to use that as an idea about how some people don't want to dance, but they gotta because the song gets them to exactly like, like fitness. Um, the mood that we wanted to express through the music was dark, gritty, heavy, and sharp in the beat. But, you know, it seemed like we already had a good idea of what we wanted to do. We already knew just how we do it. With the production, we were indulged in the music of Childish Gambino, especially songs that he put up that were never released. A lot of the music he did or didn't put out were in the criteria of darkness that we were searching for, so we were listening to a lot of his music so we can get inspired of 
the sound that we wanted to replicate. I remember three songs specifically that we were interested in, and they were called Human Sacrifice, All Night, and Algorithm. All of these songs were not released at the time, but Josh suggested that we make Dancer's Paradise heavily inspired by the styles of those songs. So after school, I went on and produced the track with those songs in my mind. Producing this track was very different from all the others. A lot of it was experimental. Most of all, the vocals were very experimental. This was the only track that had vocal manipulation that had to do with pitch. The concept of recording vocals when it's slow and then speeding the song up later was also used. I remember Jacob Collier was doing something with that with, uh, I believe it was uh, Moon River or something like that. Or it, He does it in a lot of his songs. Um, but I was really interested with that idea. For the first part of the song, I only used synthesizers and electronic instruments. I did mix in some orchestral instruments in the end, just to show there was a uh, gradual transition back to the real world, in a sense. This song had the most vocal tracks as well, compared to all the other songs that I did for this album. It had harmonies, manipulated tracks, pitched layers. It was just a huge, complex piece. And Josh was supposed to sing verse 2 and rap the first half of the bridge, but due to complications, it did not happen. When I sent the demo over to Fadi, who mixed the song actually, he said that this had to be the best song that I wrote and produced for the album. He then added his own magic, changed some of the filters of the vocals, added sound effects, um, balance the sound of each layer, each instrument. So now the song sounds a lot better now than it did when I originally mixed it together and produced it. At the time, I also had supporters who nearly campaigned to make my song TikTok famous. I honestly didn't know what this would mean for me and what I'd become after this. And to be honest with you, I wasn't really all for it. Being, I don't know, having my songs put on TikTok personally, is one of the least genuine ways to go for me. <clears throat> Bella Porch. <clears throat> one good thing that's in the works, though, is um, my friend Etienne Sergo. He's currently remixing the song. Um, he's the one who produced my track One Shot that I co-wrote and featured on with Dante Lizio. He did everything um, sonically, and it's just, it's just great. Him and Philip. Um, yeah, they, they just, yeah. His music is really good, and I just thought that if you listen to One Shot, you'd probably get a good idea of what the remix will sound like soon. It's pretty great. It's good stuff. So let's do the lyrical breakdown. If I had to be fully frank, since around 50% of the lyrics were written by Josh, I, I wouldn't really know what he meant at the time. So a lot of these will be up to my interpretation, but either way, let's do this. I can't lose that tempo as my life goes down a spiral. Will you take my hands and let go all night? Paradise is waiting as the lights above are blinking while we only look and sitting. Paradise. There's the tagline. As I mentioned earlier, we wanted to make a song that was more of a commanding slash instructional procedure more than anything. Originally, we thought it would be humorous, especially with the intro we were supposed to write. It was a quick exchange sorry, of dialogue explaining that we hit some turbulence and that we had to make a stop at this place called Paradise. 
For verse one, we wanted to begin the song with that forceful encouragement that a lot of dancers do with their students or participants saying, hey, come join us. This will be fun. It's going to be all great or else. <laughs> there are, you know, a lot of parties and movies, you know, parties and movies where the main character would probably sit out and wait for the party to end or having been rejected to dance. So they would probably be sitting at the side of uh, some basketball court in a gymnasium by themselves. You, you know what I'm talking about. So we wanted this song to act as a prevention of that, a fictional prevention, like most dance songs would. But, you know, we really wanted to make it nearly comically serious. Um, but later on, it becomes legitimately serious. Just Bella for short actually jumped in for analysis on this track for some great insight about the lyrics. She commented on verse one. This recurring line is directly inspired by Donald Glover, um, stage name Childish Gambino's song Algorithm from his 2020 album 31520. In the chorus of Algorithm, Glover entreats listeners to dance and groove while making sure they don't lose track of their current fast-paced tempo. Anda interprets this entreatment as a warning, and he is the one being warned. I can't lose that tempo, he mentions it, this con continuously throughout the song, because if he forgets to mention it, he will forget to keep up his tempo, which will most definitely result in a negative outcome, perhaps death, with a question mark at the end. I had no idea that she picked up that this song was inspired by Algorithm, so it really amazed me reading this for the first time. You can lose that tempo, keep that BPM of zero, step and slide on to keep it alive. Death itself is creeping, 1999 is reaching, so we party like tomorrow will die. We also wanted to put in the concept of partying putting the welcomed character into realization that they're at a party. They gotta dance. Hearing lyrics like this in other songs, like Off the Wall by Michael Jackson, I kind of imagined what if sinister lyrics like this was replaced in the original upbeat songs. So, you know, like, for example, Dancing Machine or um, Off the Wall, both by Michael Jackson. Or, you know, so, you know those songs that, um, like, Hey Mr. DJ, or I don't know, things like that. I imagined, what if, what if we use those sinister lyrics for those songs? But for the most part, it was just going to become quite aggressive either way. Writing these lyrics, we put in some dance moves and commands like step and slide and keep that BPM off zero to welcome the dancer into taking part in the music, but have them quickly face that if they don't, they will die in dancer's paradise. In a foreshadow type of way, the dancer is told they're already doomed from the line, you can't lose that tempo, and the line of I can't lose that tempo is a hint that the welcomer has already fallen into that trance. The two lines at the end of this verse was inspired by Prince's song called 1999 and how back in 1999, New Year's Eve was viewed as an apocalypse. Ish, yeah. Um, I was told that story. It doesn't seem a lot of fun. You can feel it. I can feel it. Life is creeping and it's slipping away. They can sense it, she has visions, the metronome is ticking away. Ooh. Here we go, this is where it gets real. The truth of this seemingly great paradise of partying is coming out now in the song's pre-chorus. 
The dancer is stuck in a trance like everybody else. We wanted to make sure the story itself and the song had structure and a line that would slowly unfold more lore and ideas about the evil that lies underneath. So really, this pre-chorus was the perfect time to act as a passageway into what the chorus and the rest of the song portrays. I can hear the rhythm flowing Up the corpses out there laying Pain's existence come here staying In this place called paradise Can you feel it all around us? That sensation overcomes us Unless you're moving on around us In this place called paradise Holy crap, that took a massive 180 now that I think about it. I never realized that I used actual imagery of death in the song. I think that was Josh's part in writing as he wrote a lot of the chorus. But in, in, the, in this course, we definitely know that something is off in such escape. Upon writing this course, I, I remember having the image of Kong Studios in my mind, which is the main headquarters of the virtual band Gorillaz. Think of a recording studio, so um, a beach house kind of thing. A Guji architecture at the top of the hill and surrounding it is just a graveyard. And some of it are, I don't know, gorilla zombies or some crap like that. So for Dancer's Paradise, I used that sort of idea for the scenery and the mood that I wanted. It's kind of a place that captures positivity and life and then churns it and misuses it into this negative energy. A little bit like how a lot of art and talent nowadays is used for bad things, you know, for exploitation and fame and all of this bad stuff happening to artists and stuff and things like that, you know. We wanted to express that in a sort of fictional way. I can't go, don't say so. Will you hold me tight or let go? Creation's dead, creation will flow tonight. I can feel like this tomorrow Through the veins that fill with sorrow I'm at wit's end, but you want though I'll die. Josh wrote this second verse. I remember at the time he was saying how he wanted to build from the aftermath of verse one and the actual limits that you have in Dancer's Paradise. The impossibility of escapism and the lack of realization of what type of place this really is. As he writes it, the character talks about how they're now stuck along with the presumed mentor of the song. So, you know, the welcomer guy. Uh, the mentor seems to be at the end of his life there at the party, but since the new person has just arrived, it's their turn to know that they're stuck here and to replace his um, position in Dancer's Paradise. And just like the mentor, they have to stay in a loop forever and ever of dancing and, you know, just being stuck to have to stay in rhythm and be stuck in this loop forever. All of their human traits are being removed and they are converted into this robotic being without a soul, just dancing and dancing. As I said, it, it was really an interesting verse to read um, when he wrote it. It kind of um, widened the idea of what Dancer's Paradise is as a song and as a place. So we basically was, we were just building a world out of just terrible energy. <laughs> Um, now we skip over to the bridge. Fear like shards, they break my bones. I get away with screams and moans. Reality's off, and I'm so prone. Emergency call, pick up your phone. Accidents, we aren't alone. Why do we wait? Why do we turn to stone? Medusa's eyes, in every eye, blood drops, make my teary eyes. Okay, so this is the part where the main character finally tries to leave after realizing the sort of place this is. 
while writing this part of the bridge, Josh wanted to add in the fact that um, Dancer's Paradise was a supernatural plane, um, which supports my statement about planes earlier, that where the character lands is based off of pure fear and danger of containment, something that isn't real but could be if we let it emerge into our own reality. For me, as I see it, it's a state of our mind when we are purposefully bringing ourselves to fear in hard times, accepting fear and pain when we could just simply fix the problem or make effort to change things for the better from there on out. Questioning kicks in here. With the idea of reality, Josh expresses supernatural beings. Like here, he mentions Medusa. This starts to mix around with our own reality and how we are submitting to fear of looking into the unknown and fear of things that are just merely fiction. It also weaves in the idea that we are slowing down with process to improve as a global community. We're just not bothered anymore by the looks of it with each other and the state of things. That's where my part of the bridge comes in. This is where the real stuff is talked about. The things in our world. I think this part of the bridge really speaks for itself in our time and our current state of the world concerning politics, religion, and all of these other polarizing topics that divide us into many parts. There's even cancel culture. I mean, come on, there are a lot of people trying to make a change in the world, bringing people into, you know, to listen to their words, encouraging all of us to put in some effort to turn things around. But unfortunately, on a large scale of things, everyone just has doubt. And the best that we really can do is tell people around us many times instead of relying on just one person to tell everyone at a single time. And um, yeah, that's why I think if we have a voice, you know, everyone has a voice, then we can all kind of raise our awareness, not, not of just like one problem, just of things in general that things are bad, you know, and we got we to gotta do something about it. Pollution is a reason and violence is the other So go home and tell your daddy or I'll go and tell your mother But once they know the truth and it's proof Will there ever be a speech that will ever keep us moved? If our leaders don't do something or none of us as the other The movements will be taken and the concepts taken another We gotta keep on running or our hands will grab us all Soon we'll survive but humanity will fall So now this is where I prompt the audience to actually do something Just as the mentor does to the main character in Dancer's Paradise Instead of sitting at the sidelines of the party, letting ourselves submit to never-ending sadness and danger, we need to do something, especially in this world. Look, look, I hate to be way too preacher or anything, but the song is an encouragement for all of us to do good in the world, not just for ourselves and for the sake of our own happiness, but for everyone else in the world and generations of the future, our children. You know, we need, we need to make it better for them and everyone else around us right now. As expressed in this last part of the bridge, if we don't give time and care to helping our home, then sure, we'll survive, but everything around us will go to waste. And the whole world won't be the same as we should have kept it before. I believe there's a countdown in the city of Manhattan, United States, that we only have, what, seven to ten years until um, our damage in climate is irreversible, so... I think it's best to say that we should make a better change, shall we? Moving now or lose it. Do not stay or we won't make it. You will wake the dead of many in this grave of paradise. Since I would say exactly the same thing that I said for the bridge, my written part of the bridge that I said earlier, I will just read another entry that Just Bella for short wrote on my 
genius page for this lyric. What's interesting here is Anders' use of oxymorons, a figure of speech in which apparently contradictory terms appear in conjunction. The living dead, an organized mess, a lazy go-getter are all examples of oxymorons. So that being said, in Glover's algorithm, fear is associated with the situation the listeners are in. They must dance, they must groove or else. Similarly, this negative connotation of graves, death even, being associated with the idealized, preconceived, utopian notion of paradise could indicate that something more sinister and evil lay beneath the surface of the song, beyond just the literal lyrics. Honestly, Just Bella for short is really great at taking a deep look into my lyrics. She also wrote some annotations on my other songs like Words Never Come Easy, so you should go check out her written work for insights of my songs in Currently Elsewhere on Genius.com. That should be it for the lyrical analysis of Dancer's Paradise. So, yeah, storytelling has been a large part of life, and I really did let it sink in with... Uh, songwriting that I'm that I did for this album. I wasn't really planning to make a purely uh, what's the word a purely fictional type of song that talks about things that didn't really happen through experience, more of just ideas. And um, I think it really was a great opportunity to have a grasp of really looking at what I wanted to work on in terms of the title. Because I remember, as I said earlier, the title was one of the first things that I came up with in, when we talk about the project uh, in, an, in the entire scale. You know, I came up with how many songs I was going to come up with first, came up with the title and the themes that I wanted to express. But Dancer's Paradise differed really at, at a distant way because it was one of the only songs that wasn't about things that I wanted to talk about in the album completely, I knew that there was a time that I need to take the listeners away from genuine stories and experiences as it like a breather of some sort, you know, bringing them to a different type of currently elsewhere. Um, and I wanted them to be taken to this place that is purely made up. Like all of these other songs, like uh, Hold My Hand, Words Never Come Easy, and 328, they're all songs based on experience that I have had. Actually, every song other than Dancer's Paradise is. Dancer's Paradise is kind of a song where I was an outsider looking in to, you know, social problems and culture and society and all of these um, climate complications that are happening in our world right now. I am standing in the middle of it, but with, I don't know, uh, exploitation, for example, and be just literally being stranded on an island or a so-called paradise where everyone is dancing mindlessly. I've never been in that situation properly before, and I don't think I ever will be if we talk about um, fictional storyscapes, <laughs> but... Um, it was kind of a cool thing for me to dive into the fictional world and get in touch with my storytelling side again, like I did when I was young and still making books and novels and stuff like that. In fact, writing Dancer's Paradise has, I guess, encouraged me to get back into creative writing again. Because I remember when I was working on music in general for two years, I stopped writing novels and short stories and things like that that I used to do back in seventh grade. 
and you know making a song that is entirely in a fictional universe has encouraged me to get back into that side so that being said i jumped into script writing again which is a sort of thing that i was doing for fun at the time of uh writing this album but i uh, at the same time i really wanted to do something with it and now i am um especially now that I'm doing multimedia as courses in high school and university leading up, I need to do more script writing. So this has really fueled my brain for creativity and innovation of what I really want to write. So right now I'm working on a script that's called Turning Point, and it's a script that's based on Donald Glover's uh, album 31520. It was actually a short story type of thing that I wrote for an English task in an assessment and my teacher noticed how much work I put into it. I, I put a lot of work into it. The word limit was 900 and I went way beyond the limit. I don't know how much it was like 8,000 words or something like that. It was a couple thousand words. And, um, I also did song links to put as background music and all of this stuff. And she just said, Hey, why don't you make this an actual, scripts since you're already doing scripts for fun and i thought hey why not so now i'm working on a script called turning point and what the story is is basically these two the, the, this couple essentially in a universe where technology is slightly more advanced than it is now it's like not hologram exactly it's just artificial intelligence is smarter um we're having cars. Every car looks like the that new Mercedes Benz that was really weird. Um, solar energy is all over the place. You know, things things that are slightly more advanced, but not to the point. It's space age technology. So, a satellite accidentally gets into some weird anomaly that causes it to know information about everyone and everything. And one of the most crucial information that is leaked out is when everyone's gonna die somehow um even i don't <laughs> even i don't know how it how how it happened it was just a weird phenomenon and everyone gets sent the date where they were born when they were gonna die but not how it was just the time and that story surrounds this couple as they're trying to figure out their position in the universe after finding out that they're more that their days are actually numbered and you know Things like that. It's it's really, really crazy. And I really wanted to write it in the way that Donald Glover wrote Atlanta, which is very, very um, honest, raw, and gripping in a way that it's like going to have you at the edge of your seat and also really thought-provoking. If you haven't seen Atlanta, I'd recommend checking it out. There's a bit of... um inspiration with his because the internet script and clapping for the wrong reasons which was actually an, a story that i use as inspiration for a multimedia assessment that i had uh around two years ago and it has helped me prime up my ideas for what i do want to make with stories and universes and all of this stuff and um, yeah donald glover has been kind of a directional compass um helping me trying to find what I want to do and I want to I want to do something like what he's doing I really like the way he writes and 
expresses his feelings through music and just the way that he brings storytelling to another level. It's just crazy. And I really want to do something like that. Obviously, I'm not going to make direct spinoffs of Atlanta or whatever. But for now, as I'm training my script writing and things like that, I do want to make stories within that line. So I know how to make a good story and how structure can be changed and shifted and all this type of stuff. So that's, that's really great and all in, all in good fun. So script writing is definitely on the horizon for me, as well as this new project that will definitely look more into storytelling as well. That with details of the next album slash project will come into light next year. But for now, I'm just going to say storytelling, a lot of it's coming. So yeah, I guess that's it for this episode. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. Right now is a quick fire season since it's almost Christmas. Would love to get all of these episodes out before the 20, 25th, though, so Christmas Day. So make sure to keep your ears and eyes open for more episodes coming in very quickly in the next fortnight. And I didn't mean the game. I hope with all of my heart that none of you thought I meant the game. <laughs> next episode, we have a guest again. Someone who I have collaborated with so many times over the course of the last two years and a very special friend of mine, Breeties. I seriously can't wait to put this next episode out. She and I had a great time recording it. The conversations that we have are something that we think you will truly resonate and connect with. So be on the lookout for episode eight. Once again, thanks for listening. Make sure to love yourself and each other, and I'll see you then.